0: Hey everyone and welcome to Sermoncast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. We are living in unprecedented times. It's unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Trump's document destruction was unprecedented. Biden administration is setting an unprecedented tone here in the Prime Minister to use this unprecedented sledgehammer. The used car market is seeing unprecedented numbers right now. Unprecedented. Overused is to use too often, too much, too many times, too broadly. And that's really about how that happened for this next series. And we're going to take this series right up through Easter. As we talked about the idea of what is the big word that you hear? What's the pulse of our world today? And the word unprecedented came up several times as this is what we hear all the time. And it's true. I don't know if you've paid attention to that or if you've heard this or not, but it's like everything seems to be unprecedented. In other words... The the definition of unprecedented means that it's never been seen before, never been done before. So it's very possible we've kind of overused that word, but maybe we've a little bit underused that word when it comes to biblical kinds of things, because I think there's some things in the biblical proportion that are certainly unprecedented, never seen before, never done before. We're going to start off with Adam today. And I would say that creation from even the angelic host, the angelic host had never seen, I'll bet you they've never seen a dinosaur. That was unprecedented. You think about all the creation that's, that we have. I mean, if my, my uh, generation kind of knew this guy named Jacques Cousteau. He used to take us out into the ocean and go deep in the ocean and find these fish and had this little light, bleep, bleep, way down deep where it's so black that I don't know why God put that bleeper on that fish. You would think that'd be like a signal. Here I am. But anyway, he survives down there somehow. Unbelievable things of creation. And I would imagine the angelic hosts thought, wow, this is unprecedented. We've never seen, we have no idea of God's creative prowess. They'd seen Glory but there were some things that i'm sure they never had seen even in the the created order especially man man was had to be unprecedented you know the angelic beasts or, or creatures were created individually they were created beings individually man is born of woman procreation that is unprecedented the angelic host had never seen the propagation of man There's a lot of things I believe that were unprecedented, but there's one today that I'm going to talk about that I think still the angelic realm, and I would say the human realm doesn't fully understand or can embrace the word that we're going to discuss today that I believe is truly unprecedented. First thing I want to talk about today is the the rules of God. Now, I say the rules of God because I, I wanted, instead of titling it attributes of God, I wanted to call it rules of God. Because rules kind of makes you think a little bit differently. Attributes is like, okay, I've heard of this before. But this, when God reveals himself to us, he reveals who he is. And he says of himself things that we go, oh my gosh. Those are revelations of God, of who he is. So one of those attributes, rules of God is this, that he's infinite, infinity. Now, I don't know about you, this is just the way my brain works. Maybe it's because I'm one side brain more than the other side brain. I'm not exactly sure. But I can almost deal with eternity future. I can almost, almost deal with that one. The one that just, I get back here and it's just like I stumble all over my thinking is eternity past. God existed in eternity past. That blows my mind. I don't have a shelf for that one. But God tells us he's, he's infinite. So here's a verse. There's several verses that we put this together. And I'm not going to unpack every one of these and give you verses for it. I just want you to know I'm going to hit the high points of these attributes because it, I'm really trying to use these attributes to make a case for something. So, but I want to unpack this one. Uh, Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's That's a picture of God is before all, he's in all, and he tells us later that he's in eternity future. We will be in eternity future. There is an eternity future. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. God is immutable. That means he never changes. What God said was sin before is sin now. He's immutable. Now, the, fortunately, the way that God has dealt with sin has changed. Used to be under the law; you break the law, there was immediate consequences. Today, we've got we live under grace because of Christ. We live under this thing called grace. There will be a future kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and Christ will reign on His throne in Jerusalem, over over all the kingdom, and that's a different kind of of. Relationship that we'll have with God. So, but God never doesn't change. His way he deals with man changes. God doesn't change. He's immutable. This is an immutable attribute. He never changes. God is self sufficient. He has no needs. Psalms that says, "If I were thirsty, would I ask you, O man?" Implied, no. If I were hungry, would I ask of you? No. God has no needs that man can can meet or fill. Now, his desire to share his glory with us and that we worship him, that's out of our own free will. That, there's something about that that is powerful in the heart of God. He wants to share his glory with us. But does he need us to? No. He's complete within himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they are complete. They, by the way, they had existed in eternity past. I don't know when the angelic hosts were created But he existed before that. Just blew my mind. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Now, this is a problem. Having all-power causes a problem for us humans. Because we say, God, if you're all-powerful, then why don't you blank, right? Why would you allow blank?" Well, don't forget that God has also this thing called he cannot lie. God doesn't change. In other words, what was sin in the past is sin now. He gave free will, and free will means free will. It means that's a, it's a, he gave this thing free will. He can't, just, he can't break these rules. And even though he is all-powerful, no, no matter how much power the divine has, the divine cannot lie. See the pickle that you get in when you have these immutable attributes? He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He knows everything, the beginning and the end. He already knows. He has foreknowledge. Drives us crazy. Well, if you have foreknowledge, why didn't you change that? Why didn't you change this? Then how does prayer work? I, well, I don't. I, there's a lot I don't fully understand. But God knew you'd pray and you going not change him. I don't know. Just, he just—he knows all these things. It's all knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. That's even bigger than the internet, by the way, just so you know. He's everywhere. He's like, well, did you know your internet? Your, you know your screen's watching you? Well, God's watching all the time anyway. I'm an open book. He can see whatever you want to. Here's, a, here's the one that I want to camp on just a little bit. <clears throat> God is just, and he is perfect in his justice perfect. Now, I will tell you, when it comes to justice, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to justice. And I want you to think of the tension that God has. He's perfect in his justice. He's also love. God is love. That's an immutable attribute. God is love. That's who he is. He's good. He's love. So if you're perfect in your justice and you're perfect in your love, then how can you ever do, execute justice? Because you're perfect in love. How, does that, how do you bridge that gap? Well, that's the stuff. The stuff that bridges that gap is the stuff I want to talk about today. Because I think this stuff that the angels long to look at, that the angels don't fully understand, that I will guarantee you and I don't fully understand that we have access to, this stuff that bridges perfect justice and perfect love, that's called grace. And I will tell you that the heavenly hosts don't fully understand this grace. You and I, no matter how long we live, will never fully understand this grace. We mess this grace up all the time. And I'm going to unpack that just a little bit. First place we see grace in the Bible, I think you could argue that it's in Genesis chapter 3. I'm convinced of that. But I think that some could argue maybe a different place. I'm going to start someplace that I don't necessarily say that this is a picture of grace. But I I do think, I see how someone could argue that this is a picture of grace. Genesis chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, I think our host, I didn't mean to imply on you guys, but thank you for your grace. And um, they will bring you a Bible if you so choose to follow along. Some of the verses I have on the screen, some of them I don't. If you follow along with your phone tablet, whatever, you're most welcome. I'd like for you to see these verses. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this is when, okay, Adam and Eve had sinned, and then they blamed each other, blamed everybody, blamed the serpent, blamed it. and God is now dueling out the judgment. So he tells the serpent, you're going to crawl in your belly all the days of your life. Then the next thing he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He, meaning her offspring, her, he will bruise your serpent head. And you, serpent, will bruise his heel. Now, this is possibly, you could argue, this is a picture of the first picture of God's grace. I think it's better to say this is the per- first prophecy in the Bible. God was prophesying and saying that there will be the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent's head. Now, the word bruise there is kind of, kind of misleading. Not, I don't know if it's misleading, but it's kind of, it really means overwhelmed. He will overwhelm your, the seed of the serpent's head, and the seed of the serpent will overwhelm the heel of her seed. I would rather be overwhelmed by... The heel than the head, wouldn't you? I think, and that's the picture that he's saying here. I think this is a picture of God's grace for sure, but it's probably the very first picture of there's going to be a line, there's going to be a seed that's going to be that's going to go from Adam and Eve to their the next generation. So we see Cain and Abel, and so the seed of the serpent saw that. Okay, here's the here's the lineage. I get the picture. What am I going to (sighs) do? I know. I'll get some pride going in Cain, get him hating his brother, get him jealous, and have him kill him. Done with the seed. And it worked. The thing that he didn't get and he learned over time is that God has other ways, like having another boy named Seth that could carry that line, that seed. And we see Seth go on. Then we see Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And then it goes on through and then David. And all the way through, we're going to see that this, I will tell you this, this lineage or this seed or this became this root or the seed became this root, which is Israel and we're grafted into that root. I mean, it's just unprecedented. This is the most marvelous story that you and I are a part of. And it started way back in the garden. And I think Satan was just, you know, had no idea, and I think he's still looking for that. That uh, well, he's you know, up until the time of Christ was looking for who that seed is, and Satan and Satan's head was crushed by Christ on the cross. Now, doesn't mean that he didn't have what was crushed was sin and death, the eternal eternal death. Right, that's what was defeated on the cross. That doesn't mean that we are fully back in the in the in the garden. Because of the fall of man, man fell. There's a few things that in Christ, the law kind of got us uh, aware of some things that we had lost, but it was in Christ we finally say, okay, now I understand that I can have peace and joy and hope. But it didn't restore everything. We don't live in the garden. We still live in the ghetto. This is a place where Satan still has a reign of some kind that I don't fully understand. But the sin and death, conquered done. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And we have this, this great hope because of this great grace. We're going to talk about a little bit more about that. I don't think that's the first place of grace, but some people might argue that. And I actually, I wouldn't argue with you. It's an it's a amazing picture if you unpack it. Skip down to verse 21. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has come, become like one of us. Who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One of the first pictures we see of this plural, triune God. Okay, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, there was two trees that we know of for sure in the garden, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that one. They did, and they had knowledge of good and evil just like the serpent said. I don't think they realized the consequences would come with that, the fall, that they would fall out of God's grace, if you will. But there was this tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's also a tree of life. And I I think it's God's grace what we're going to see in the rest of this passage. Because if if they reached out and ate from the tree of life, then Adam and Eve would live forever forever. The tree of life is an eternal tree. It's a tree that we see in in Revelation chapter twenty two, verse two. It's the tree of life, because when you eat from that tree, then you you enter into the kingdom. It's like it's a picture of God's eternity, and if and if we ate, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life in this fallen state, they would live forever in this fallen state. No redemption possible. That's why the tree of life was so so important. And that's why, look what he does. This is a great grace of God. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground. It's like, stay out there, stay busy, so you don't come back to the tree of life, which he he was taken. He came from the ground, and he had to go work that ground. That was his punishment. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way. To guard the way to the tree of life. I don't know what you picture. I've got, this is what's in my head. I got a big angel, (laughs) cherub, cherubim. And I got him kind of, you know, like a twirling, I don't know, twirling a flaming sword. (laughs) That's what I got in my head. You can do whatever you want to. (laughs) But he was doing whatever he needed to do to make sure this human would not come back and try to get to the tree of life. And live forever in this fallen state. So we get to see the picture of what, how, how ser, excuse me, serious things were with man. And this disobedience or this sin that we've fallen into. Grace. The definition of grace. The word in Greek is chorus. It means goodwill. It means loving kindness. It means favor. In particular to God's merciful grace. And I like that picture of God's merciful grace because in the middle of this justice and this love, God has this great love for us. And yes, he's got to be just. And if he's just and perfect in his justice, we're all sinners. And so we all deserve damnation because we're all sinners. Even, even eating a bite out of the, the fruit, that was, that was the fall of man. That was disobedience to God. I don't think we have any clue what we're talking about what, or how serious sin is. They go, well, that's just a little, little sin. Like, I don't know. It got them out. It was a big sin. It was fall. Think of the brokenness and the damage that's happened because of that fall. We're born into this brokenness. And in particular, God's merciful grace, God's mercy. God's mercy is what he withholds from us. That's mercy. God withholds his wrath. Now, does that mean God is angry at sin? I think what the, the word wrath there is trying to explain to us is this is how God and sin get, to get along together. Not at all. In other words, God and sin can't commingle. God, so in his mercy, he withholds his wrath towards sin and he extends his great grace. Things that you and I don't deserve. Unmerited favor. That's his grace. And I would tell you, that grace, I think it's, I think blew Satan's mind. Think about it. Satan was. Satan was a created being that walked on the mountain of God. I'm I'm gonna unpack that in just a little bit. Two more things I want to say about grace. First one is this: don't forget that man has common grace God has given man common grace in other words every religion every man that's ever born experiences the common grace of God that's why I think sometimes people get confused it's like well you know they this is an amazing story that everyone every religion has God stories just so you know amazing stories that's a common grace of course because God loves all mankind he created mankind But there's another grace. It's called salvation grace. It's a special grace that the gospel unpacks. And this special grace of God is why the seed of the woman who we know as Jesus Christ crushed, overwhelmed the head of the the seed of the serpent. Which is sin on the cross at Calvary. And God because of that sacrifice, there's two things that happened at, at the cross. The one thing, the blood of Christ satisfied the righteous demands. Who's the righteous demands set up by? God. God's the one that set the righteous demands. Someone perfect had to come and live a perfect life to restore this fallen situation that man was in. The law didn't do it. The prophets didn't do it. King David didn't do it. No, none of those guys. Abraham, nothing like that. nothing like that. Ch- children of Israel. In Christ, Christ satisfied the righteous demands of God, his own demands, something sinless, someone sinless would have to come and live a perfect sinless life and die. Because without the shedding of blood, no forgiveness of sins. Don't forget when Adam and Eve, they were draped in the, uh, the, uh, the robes, the, the God, God created skins for them, in order for them to have skins, something had to die. I personally believe it was a little lamb, maybe two. Probably one that was friendly to them. You know how cute little lambs are? They're so stinking cute. Even now today, people look. at they, Lambs and puppies, you know, they just go, oh, there's a And to think that this, this lamb had to die so that it could cover my shame, that would leave a mark on you, I think. Adam and Eve came up with leaves. You know God said, probably. Well, that'll last for about a week. You're going to need something more than that. Without the shedding of blood, that's God's standard, not mine. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And it it covered their sin. It covered their shame. That's what these skins did. I believe they were lambs. It didn't say lambs, but I believe they were. Because God's a God of perfect metaphors. And then the Lamb of God shed his blood to cover my shame it's amazing. So this salvation is special. I think I don't think the demons have access to this salvation. And I think they look at this special salvation, this special grace called salvation. And they marvel at it. They wonder at it. You think about it. Satan was created in in heaven. We, you and I, we were not created in glory. And I think that's probably why we get the second chance. We were created born into sin. We weren't born into glory. I was born into Kansas. That's, that might even be lower. I don't know. We are born into this. This is just who we are. I'm a sinner born into this sin. So I believe that's why God has given this great grace. And I think Satan and all the demonic that have participated with Satan and, and got thrown out of heaven are looking at this grace and scratching their heads and going, oh, my gosh. And probably still trying to do everything they can to mess up this plan. That's my best guess at it. Let's look at this plan, the plan of God. First of all, I want to talk about this banishment of Satan, because I mentioned it, and I, I'd like just to read. Ezekiel 28 is one of those places. If you have a Bible, look to it, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, if you can find that, Ezekiel 28. is where we see this description. Now, we see this also in other places in Scripture. For example, um, this is talking about the king of Tyre. And you're like, well, he's talking about the king of Tyre, not about Satan. But you're going to see this shift. And you're going to go, oh, I think he's talking about something besides just the king of Tyre. Is it true of the king of Tyre? Yes. But this is also true of another being that's out behind the, the, running the puppet strings of the king of Tyre, if you will. And you're going to see that in a second. But it's not unprecedented because we see this with David. And David has a psalm and he talks about, it. you can see my bones and the, the, uh, the, uh, the people are wagging their heads and then it talks about how these pierced for our transgressions and we go, oh my gosh, he's not just talking about David. Although David may have experienced some of these things in a certain way, he's actually talking about what Christ is going to suffer. So we see this in, in other ways. And so what we see here is, and I'm going to unpack this just a little bit, Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm going to start reading verse 12. It talks about the king of Tyre verses 1 through 10. Then it says, Son of man, rise and lament over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Huh. Okay, maybe that's a hint. It's talking about maybe something uh, different than just the king of Tyre. Maybe it's something bigger than the king. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, uh, whatever that was. That one. And crafted in gold, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. So here's we get this idea that we're talking about somebody other than this, the king of Tyre and whoever this is, and we know that it's Satan himself, Lucifer. He was created. Each of the angelic hosts were created, probably separately. You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were in the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of the fire you walked. Now these stones of the fire probably is a picture of the throne room of God. He walked in the throne room of God, in the holy of holies, if you will. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So here's, tells us something about him. That the angelic class had free will. They didn't have to slavishly follow God. They had free will until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. There you go. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of the fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. I corrupted, You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings. And he goes on and on. We go, oh, this is the, the fall of Satan, if you will. Now, there's a little bit more about this. Let's turn to uh, Isaiah 14 gives us another little picture of this, this fall from grace. This Lucifer and who he, who he was and his really his uh, beauty and his prowess that he had. And now verse 12 says this. Isaiah 14, 12 is where I'm at. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. Here it is. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is sin. You say that I don't believe in God. I kind of think I am him. That's sin. That's what he did. The question I have, and I would love for you to get the answer and email it to me, because I was like, why did Satan, Lucifer at that time, the the angel of the morning star, the most beautiful angel, in fact, I think it goes on to say that. It says that you were brought down to Sheol. I think in the other other verse it talks about the most, most beautiful angel. It's because of his beauty, because of his power. He looked at himself in the mirror and said, man, you are handsome. And powerful. Why did Satan think he could take God? It blows my mind. The best shot I have, I'm going to give you my guess, and you can give your guess. I, I God is light. Maybe he didn't see all of God's power. Maybe he saw light. Maybe he saw his creation. Maybe he thought if he could get a half of the angels to go with him, he ended up getting the third. Maybe he could take this place over. I don't know what was in his head. But beauty... And his own glory, in his own power, his own pride drove him. And he fell. He was booted out. For whatever we know, that his his at least this, I know this much. I believe his knowledge was limited. Now here's a, here's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. And it gives us a little bit of hint of what's going on in the angelic class. And I would say, I would put. Satan in that angelic class. Now he's a demon. I get that now. He's Satan. But he was created to be a cherub. He's the angel stuff. And he has angel stuff um, mind and understanding. And so here's what we know of just a little tiny glimpse into what the angels know and think and do. So he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation. So It's concerning salvation. We're talking about salvation. We're not not talking about other things. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. In other words, they knew, the prophets knew that there would be Messiah. Today, the Jews are still looking for Messiah. The one that ushers in this great grace. They missed Messiah in Christ. For whatever reasons, and there's a lot of reasons, that's another sermon. But they they missed Messiah. They're still looking for Messiah. The prophets of old were inquiring and digging through scriptures trying to understand at what time this Messiah would bring in, usher in this great grace. It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that now by the way, Peter is talking to you, meaning the church, to you, church. you Gentiles. not, not Israel, to you. First Peter is talking to, to the church. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, church, in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. Good news is the gospel, the grace of God. To you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here it is: things into which angels long to look. In other words, angels don't know everything. That's the whole point of that for me. They're looking. I think that just blows their mind. I think they're looking down and thinking, "Ah, that guy. There's no way God's grace can change that guy." And then that guy finds Jesus Christ and changes his life. And life, his life is changed by the grace of God. And I think they're long to look at this thing and going, "Wow." Why? Angels don't get a second chance. Demons don't get the second chance. And we get this second chance probably because we're born into sin and we get this opportunity to receive this great grace. Now, it doesn't restore us back to the garden, but it restores a bunch of stuff. Hope and joy and peace. Comfort. There's a lot. The gifts of the Spirit. Spirit. It restores a lot of things. Now, someday everything will be restored in Christ. But we get a little foretaste of it right now. Those that are in, and I think that's one of the reasons the church is a big deal. You don't have to come to church to have this great grace, but you come to church because you you experience this great grace and you want to learn more about it and understand. It's like, what is this grace? Because I don't think you fully understand this great grace. I don't fully understand this great grace. I don't think Satan fully understands or the angels. I think they're longing to look at this great salvation. They're going, oh, there's a guy, there's a gal. (laughs) Satan's going, we got that one locked up. And then guess what? They find this great grace. And many times that's what happens. They get locked up and sometimes in prison, they find this great grace. Changes everything. And I think angels long to look at this mind-blowing thing, this unprecedented Thing called grace. Grace is that stuff that takes a just and holy God that cannot stand even be close, can't be close to sin because of his justice and of his holiness and his righteousness and his great love is going at the same time, and grace is what bridges that gap. And it's because of his grace that he offered to his son at Calvary. Because in Christ, God satisfied his righteous demands of this fall. In Christ. By shedding his blood. And when you have this satisfied. You are now robed with God's robe of righteousness. It's amazing. Sin has been propitiated. Snuffed out. It's like a a match that starts and is dunked in water. His wrath is propitiated in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Done. And then we live and enjoy and understand this great grace. It's an unprecedented grace. I want to close with this last verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It goes like this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why can we approach it with confidence? Because we've been robed with this robe of righteousness. And this robe of righteousness allows me to get before this holy God. Picture God to be the sun, the heat of the sun. There's no way that a human could stand the heat of the sun. But with this robe of righteousness, I can stand that heat. His wrath towards sin is absorbed in this robe of righteousness that, I per- that was purchased for me and I just chose to put on and thank God for it. That's his great grace. And I can stand and I can come boldly. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I can come with confidence so that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help us in our time of need. That's why. I don't think we fully understand what we have as a child of the living God. I don't think we understand what it means to be the bride of Christ. But the one thing we need to know is that we have this great grace. Now be careful with the grace. Because you have experienced grace and you think that other person that lives like this, they say they're a Christian but they do these things. Let God deal with that. Just just love them. You'd be way better off. Just just love them. It's not our ju- job to judge. That's God's job. He's got to take care of all that stuff. I can encourage. I can do my best at point. Do I think it matters that we live close with God? Absolutely. Because when we live in this grace and we're close to him and we get our the sins that we that tend to build up between us and God, and we get those just like we did, we took communion and say, we confess that sin that, he gets that we get fellowship back we get peace and joy and all those things that fellowship with God it's huge eternal rewards there's a reason to, to walk here there's a reason not to walk here but don't get judgmental while you're here because now you just you just got over here be careful with that one let God be the judge he's the dispenser of grace our job is to love we just love him would you pray with me, Father in heaven? I know that we don 't fully understand this grace that you 've given us it 's most it 's a most amazing unprecedented item commodity um, grace that we have in Christ. I just pray that I pray that instead of just being ignorant toward this grace we, we constantly remember that. It, As free as this grace is to us, it was not free for you. And you died for us to have this free grace. Help us to be good grace dispensers to others, Lord. And I would end by saying, Lord, I do pray. We've come boldly before your throne of grace to find mercy and help for our brothers and sisters. Some that are on our refugees right now. Some that are suffering greatly right now. God, please. Please, I pray for your your protection and your great grace. I pray this in Jesus' name.